be back with you um, after um, we're going to get we're going to jump back into First Samuel this morning. We took Easter off. Obviously, we had an Easter sermon, um, but man. I heard such great things about Mary's sermon down here last yeah. time. Kiara yeah. was like, that's a sermon for all of us to go listen to. So yes. I did listen to that this week in preparation for this and just to hear it. And I was like, wow, that was like spot on for, for people, for our church, for our body, all of that. Like, and so we are going to keep thinking of this. Mary, Mary directed us, if you weren't here. It was all about not keeping God in our boxes, not, not, not like just getting baby out of the corner, right? Getting God out of the box and letting him do whatever he wants, not using God like a token. We're going we're gonna to rehash some of the story. Um, but I think it has to do all about with us exploring what God is. This, there's this word bouncing around at the gospel tab of God making us into a new wineskin. And what does it mean to like not... <laughs> We have a family exodus here. Oh, Milo's holding it. Why don't you, Mercy, why don't you shut the door for me, please? Okay, thanks. All right. Um, we, we have this word like, God, what are you doing? Like, we, we want to be about whatever you're doing, not about our old boxes or our old ways of doing things. And that's what a new wineskin is. It's like this new form to hold the presence of the Lord. The wine is Jesus. And so what are, what, what's God saying? So we're going to... We're going to keep that in mind as we dive into this a little bit. So we're going to, if you have a Bible or a device, open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 8, okay? And we, I'm going to story tell just a little bit to get the, if you haven't been here for this series, here's the deal, okay? We're coming, we're, we're in the period of time where the people of Israel have been ruled by these judges. So there's a judge for 20 years, a judge for 15 years, men and women who are kind of like, the liaison between God and the people, governing the people. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Different, most, mostly, the people do what's right in their own eyes, and they like, disregard God. And then every once in a while they come back to him, and then they leave again. And all, this is the story of Israel if you read the Bible at all, you know? So, sadly. So, we've come into the life, though, now of um, the first characters were Eli, who was the priest, and Hannah, who was this woman who couldn't have a baby, and she pleaded with God, and God granted her a son, and as a promise back to God, she gave him to the Lord, and this was Samuel. And so Samuel grows up in the temple because she gave him back to the Lord by giving him to the temple, and Eli, and Eli's raising him. Eli's not a great dude. Um, really, he's just really kind of neglecting what his sons are up to, and his sons are up to all the wrong things. And God warns him through Samuel by speaking to Samuel, but Eli doesn't listen. And so, sadly, um, where Mary came in last, uh, last sermon was saying they went off to battle, okay, and they're getting their butts handed to them. And they decide, oh, we got the Ark of the Covenant. It's God's presence or something. Let's take that, and that'll help us win like a good luck charm, like a token of, oh, this will win the victory for us. But sadly, that's not how God works, okay? He's not going to be used like a token. And so the ark falls into the hands of the Philistines. They get beat in battle. Eli and his sons are killed. It's a really dark time. And then uh, Mary referred to it as hot potato with the, with the ark, okay? So, so the Philistines start playing hot potato with the ark because everywhere the ark goes, there's plagues that happen to the people. 
So all these awful things are happening to the people. And so they keep passing it around. And finally, they send the ark back to Israel. Okay? So if you remember, they put it on a cart. They, give, they put these cows, hitched up the cows, and the cows march it back to Israel, even though they probably, you know, it was miraculous. Like, they shouldn't have wanted to take that thing to Israel, but they did. So we get to, the ark comes back to Israel. There's this, there's this one story in the end of chapter 6 where some people, anybody ever seen Indiana Jones and the Ark? What, what's the, the Lost Ark? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Anybody seen that one? The one scene I couldn't watch when I was a kid was when they look at the Ark and open it up and then, you know, like all their faces start, you know, like, it's not, it's not pretty, okay? I was like, I was a kid and I was like, oh, I can't watch that part, all right? So some people do that. They look in the Ark and they all die, okay? And, and then they're like playing, they're, they're Israelites, but they're playing hot potato with it because they're like, we don't want that either. So they send it off to another community, and there it rests for like 20 years. And here we get to chapter 7, and the people are actually starting to come back to God. They're like, we want to repent. We want to come back. Um, and so Samuel leads the people of Israel in this act of repentance. And, and then, okay, so they're all, they, they all come to this city called Mizpah, and they repent. And Samuel's like, take down all your Asherah poles and your idols and all this stuff and come back to the Lord. And the Philistines here, they're all gathered. And they're like, oh, this is a perfect chance. Let's go take them out. So the Philistines get up an army. They come to defeat the Israelites. And this time, instead of like treating God like a token, they actually go to him in repentance and trust and offer sacrifices. And what do you think happens? God wins the battle for them. Okay, basically, they don't even really have to fight. God causes there to be thunder and confusion. And instead of having a fight, all they have to do is track down these Philistines who are fleeing and running for their lives because they don't know what's going on. So you see the difference in the two battles when they take the ark in as a, like a good luck charm versus when they actually repent and follow, and follow Jesus and trust him for the victory. And then there's a peace that comes to Israel. Okay, So that's where we're at. Okay, We're living in this peace. Samuel, we're only seven chapters in, but we've gone from birth to like old man Samuel. Okay, so old man Samuel is kind of living out his days. He's been like a judge and a prophet and a priest, all of those things for the people of Israel. And now we're going to get into chapter eight. Okay, so um, turn with me. If you're already there, that's great. First Samuel chapter eight. I'm going to read. I think the screen is an NIV, so you can follow along back here. Where can I get out of the way? All right, let me get out of the way. I'm going to read with you, okay, so. All right, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. <clears throat> now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, now appoint a king to lead us, such as all... Oh, no, I don't know. I, that got a little bit repetitive. That, that was a mistake. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this is pleased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. 
But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is what the Lord, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will ride in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them the king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. So the story ends up, they go back to their own towns, they end up picking a king. We're going to talk about that later. But man, this is a pretty, I mean, you guys were like moaning and as you were reading this. You were like, oh, people, come on. You're like reading the story and thinking of like how bad they're, they're doing stuff already. Okay, so, um, so. As, uh, as, we went, as I was preparing for this, I thought, you know what? I'm going to use a, a, a method, okay? If, you, if you've ever kind of wondered, like, how do I study the Bible? Like, when, when, I, when I need to study the Bible, what do I do, okay? There's a really foundational method called the um, inductive Bible study method, okay? It's just three little points. You observe, you interpret, and you apply, okay? So we're going to start by observing, okay? So we're going to look at this text, and we're going to make some observations. What does the text say. So um, it, you can, Nikki, you can try to follow along or you guys can look at your own thing. But okay, first thing that happens, the people come to Samuel and they're complaining about what? I want this to be interactive a little bit. What are they complaining about? They want to play a king. Yeah, but before that, why? Why did they speak? Because Samuel's sons are not following. We're going to get to that. But you are right on track. Because who does this sound like? Samuel's sons are not following the way of the Lord. Okay, a few weeks ago. Eli's sons. All right? The same thing is going on. Okay, so Eli's got these sons aren't following Jesus, aren't following the Lord. And now Samuel is old and his aren't either. And I thought about this. This isn't the main point. Just an observation. Even the best of us can't control our kids. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I thought, thought, well, maybe. (laughs) I just saw a daughter in the room say, accept it. That's great. We can't control. Jesus, like, Jesus didn't have kids, he had disciples. He He couldn't control them either. Like, even Jesus, Jesus was the better Samuel, was the better Eli, but he still couldn't control his kids, okay, his disciples. All right, so now, the thing is, Samuel doesn't 
get all these warnings and not listen to them like Eli did. Eli got all these warnings, never did a thing about it. But the people are coming to Samuel and being like, look, your sons aren't following God. We need something. Something needs to happen. Mm. So you can't completely fault these people. Okay? There is injustice going on. But you guys will jump into the next point. Why are they asking for the king? What's the, what's the reason? What did they say? They want to be like everybody else. Okay? So that's the reasoning. Okay? It may be because these guys are doing the wrong thing, but ultimately, and we're going to dive into some of this as we interpret this a little bit, they want to be like everybody else. So Samuel, let's keep making some observations. Samuel is like dejected here. He's pretty, he's pretty it says, displeased with this. <clears throat> but he goes to the Lord. So, so Samuel talks to these people. Imagine him going over here. Now he's talking to God. All right? And he's got this relationship. You know, he just talks back and forth with God. And, and what does God point out to him? Okay? It's not, they're not rejecting Samuel. Who are they rejecting? They're rejecting God. Okay? And he says, this is just like everything they've ever done. Chasing after other idols. Chasing after other gods. Now they're chasing after a king, but it's the same old rejection of God. Mm. Now, what does God do? Does he say, no, we're, snipping, we're nipping this in the bud, we're squashing this? He gives, he gives them what they want. All right, now, first, that's what he does. First, he warns them. Or he's, like, he's like, all right, Samuel. The first thing he says, before he ultimately gives them what they want, the first thing he says is, Samuel, listen to them, but warn them, okay? Give them a warning, okay? So he goes through that whole warning of, hey, you want a king? Here's what you're going to get with, with a king. Can anybody, you can either look, uh, I forget what verse, Nakia, why don't you throw up the slides that have verse, um, starting in verse 11, and moving forward, can anybody find the key word in verses 11? Oh, wait. If you're a Jordan, you can't answer this. All right? We did a little family Bible study the other day, and I was using them for sermon prep. So, <laughs> so they cannot answer this question because they already know. What's the key word in verses 11 through 17? One word. Oh, oh it, it's, that's close. No, Taylor. Oh. It's, it's said, I think we counted seven times. Six. Six? <laughs> Six times. Mercy thought it was seven. Eight. What? Eight. Oh. Almost. It rhymes with that. Take. I heard it. Take. Take is the word. Okay? So Samuel's basically saying, do you think a king's going to give you all this stuff? Actually, he's going to take all this stuff from you. Actually, you won't be so free. You'll be actually made into servants. And that last morning, you will beg for relief, but the Lord will not help you. Woo! That's rough, all right? So, obviously, the people listen, right? And everything turns out okay. No, okay, so the people don't listen. Why? What do they say this time when, when they won't listen? It's in verse 19 and 20. No, they said, we want a king. Why? We want to be like everybody else, but what else? What else? We want a king to go out and fight our battles. <laughs> like, think 
about that, we get to read the whole story, right? We get to see all the crazy things that God did in battle, but but I don't know where these people have been. Like, <laughs> hiding under some rock, you know? Like, where have you been? What battles, like, what battles have not been taken care of by the Lord, okay? Right? And so, so anyway, ultimately, like Henry said, God gives them what they want. Um, and I, I just want to make one point here. It is not, this. There's, there's a saying out there that's like, if it's meant to be, it'll be. If it happens, God just made it happen. That's actually not true, okay? God's will is over here, and sometimes we're over here. And sometimes God lets us, he allows us to do the wrong thing so that we learn from it. But it's not like if it happens, that was God making it happen. Or if it, if it was meant to be, it'll be. That's not, like God still gives us the freedom to choose him to choose life or to choose death, to choose his way or to choose another way. So just want to put that disclaimer out there for when you, you hear that or when that creeps up in our conversations, okay? So those are, so we just went through, we observed a lot of really good stuff there, okay? Now, let's start to interpret this a little bit. What does this text mean? And first thing we got to do is, what does it mean for the people in this passage, Okay. So what does it mean for the original hearers? That's when we, do, when we talk about observe, interpret, and apply the scripture. We don't want to jump to just now applying it to our lives. We want to see what does this mean for this people. Okay, so if you know about the people of Israel at this point, they're a bunch of tribes, okay? It's a tribal confederacy. They're not like one nation. Sometimes for this interpretation, you've got to dig a little bit into the history, okay? So they're, they're a tribal confederacy, or, uh, but not like a unified nation. And... <clears throat> They are called, um, there's a few different phrases for this, but all over the Old Testament, the people of, God has worked specially with this people, with the people of Israel. He's called them a special possession or a peculiar people. We don't use that word a lot, but I think we know what it means. Weird, unusual. Okay, these are weird people because they are following God unlike all the other nations around them. And God has set them apart that's where we get the word holy. He's made them holy, unlike anything else, holy to himself, not following the ways of the world. So this has meant they have looked weird, all right? They've not had a king like other nations. They have been led by the voice of God primarily. Okay, now, there's leadership. We're going to dig into that. There are leaders, but they function differently. For a long time, they didn't have a land to call their own. They were just like nomadic, wandering through the wilderness. They had these different laws that God gave them that looked different than everybody else. And back to that battles thing, their battles have looked way different, okay? Think about like Gideon when God is like, no, you got too many people. Like you need fewer people. And think about like marching around walls and just, you know, praising God and then shouting and then walls falling down. So like things have looked different because it's not been about their strength, but about God's strength. Okay, and how did God set up the leadership? Okay, there were leaders, yes, but it looked very different. Okay, so there was, and I, I referenced this with Samuel, there, were, there was kind of like three offices. There was prophet, priest, and, and uh, judge, okay, in the Old Testament. We're going to get, you probably often heard of prophet, priest, and king. Okay, we, we haven't gotten kings yet, okay? So we have prophet, priest, and judge. Prophets hear from God, tell the people what God is saying. 
Priests mediate between God and man. They offer sacrifices to, uh, to atone for sins. And then the judges are like governors, okay? So they just kind of judge, they, they govern the people, kind of hand out justice, decide on rulings, things like that. Samuel has been all of these um, in his role. He's done, he's fulfilled all of those. But what's important about how God set up the leadership was it started first with being directly connected to God and his voice with these prophets, okay? These prophets were hearing from God and telling people what to do. Now, what about a king, okay? This was interesting. About a couple months ago, we had this practice in our house. There, it doesn't happen nearly as much as it should. But if there's nothing going on at night and we, had, we were able to have family dinner and nothing's happening, sometimes we'll be like, all right, the first one that finishes dinner gets to go grab the Bible and read us the story, okay? So somebody grabbed, I can't remember who it was, we won't argue about it this morning. Somebody grabbed the Bible and they turned to Deuteronomy. And at first I was scared. Not many family devotions happen in Deuteronomy, okay? It's like laws and rules and regulations. But to my surprise, they had turned to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And so interesting, I think it's on there. I got a lot of Deuteronomy stuff. Um, well, I, I, I'm skipping some of those. Go to the last Deuteronomy passage. I think it's the right one. So, yes, perfect. Okay, so listen, this was way a long time ago, before this, our story today. But it says this, When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, wow. Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, and then be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. And he, he knew what was going to happen. God knew what was going to happen. He told the author of Deuteronomy, uh, probably Moses, that this, that this was going to happen. Um, and he goes on to give them guidelines. And the, I'll summarize it. It's like, don't put somebody greedy in front over you who's going to take a lot of horses and take all that stuff. Somebody who wants a lot of wives, like that idea. Look at all the kings that messed up that way. And... And um, they need to be in tune with the voice of God. That they are meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Like, these are the guidelines. So basically, God's like, if you pick somebody to be a king, all right, they need to be humble, they need to be in tune with the voice of the Lord, and they need to not be greedy, okay? Now, all this means God isn't totally against the people having a king, okay? Actually, he promised to Abraham that kings would come from his line. So way back in Genesis 17, he says, kings will come from you. So God knows kings are going to come. Actually, the kings are going to come so they can usher in the ultimate king, okay? And, and it's, and it's going to, uh, you know, give us a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. But, all right, the people here in this passage, the problem was with their request. The problem was with how they went about it, Okay? This is where we're going to land for, for our time, is they wanted to be just like everybody else. And they wanted this show of power and force. Like God hadn't been like that for them already, right? But ultimately, they did not want to be weird anymore, okay? They didn't want to be this peculiar people that looked different. They just wanted to fit in, okay? They wanted to, to just, you know, look like those people. I don't know, all right? So... <laughs> And then as God breaks this down with his conversation with Samuel, you know, he's relating this 
to being just another version of the people seeking after their own gods and seeking other gods. Here's the deal. These people wanted to depend on what they could see versus what they couldn't see. All right? Because when you have something tangible that you can see, here's the deal. You feel like you have a sense of control over that. But when God's in charge, you don't have any control. All right? Like we try to act like we can manipulate God or we try to have some sort of influence. Like if we do this, God will do this. But that's not like how God plays. Okay? So, so listen, Samuel's warning to this people, you know, that, you know, if you have a king, he's going to take all this stuff from you. Here's the principle. This is from a commentary that I read. When you have kings besides God, those kings do not save you. They tyrannize you. And, 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 and lastly, as God grants them this desire, um, Warren Wearsby, an author, says this. God's greatest judgment is to give his people what they want and let them suffer for it. It's pretty, pretty severe, but he's giving us what we want. But then we have to suffer the consequences of it. So here's the deal. Let's break this, let's break this all down and let's start thinking about like, how does this apply to who we are today. Um, all right, so the people of Israel were once again seeking another alternative to the rule of God. They're saying, look, we're done with this system. We're done with, like, we're done with this God rule thing. We just want to be like everybody else. We're tired of being weird, okay? This is a very human problem that all of us know. Now, none of you is probably going around asking for a king, Right? Nobody? Anybody move into Great Britain just because they, you know, want a monarchy? I don't think so, okay? But here's what we are doing, okay? We want something that looks good when compared to the people around us. We want to appear strong and capable. It sucks looking weak, right? We want something that we can control or manipulate. And we really want stuff we can understand that makes sense. It's real logical, Right? So, like, we may, we may not be asking for a king, but I guarantee that we can find ourselves in the shoes of these Israelites who are, okay, comparison, all right? We are comparing ourselves to people around us. Now, for us, you know, if we're, if we're trying to say, like, okay, we're following Jesus with our lives, like, what, is that, what does that look like when we're comparing ourselves to other people? Well, to, to the world, it looks really strange to have God tell you who to spend your time with and how to spend your money and how you choose to work and, you know, how you spend your free time, <clears throat> maybe even where you live, okay? Like, if God is picking those things, like, our work may not be based on a paycheck. It may be based on a calling. Or our, who we spend our time with may not look like Spending time with people that can necessarily like make us feel good about ourselves. It's actually spending time with people that God asks us to love and go out of our way to love. Okay? So when it comes to strength, okay, if we're if we're like these people of Israel and we want to appear strong and capable, well, yeah, God is strong, but most of the time, God asks us to operate in humility instead of like powering up. Like, think about like our primary weapon is not control or manipulation, it's prayer. Like this like super humble act of just like giving God the things that are going on in our lives. And yes, it's strength, 
but it's this humble way of strength. God calls us, just like Jesus, to lead through service and to give up power, to go into settings where we're not an expert. That's what it looks like to follow God as opposed to following the strength that the world has. What about control? Okay, the world likes to control and manipulate. Well, you know, religious people like to do this too. We like to try to control God by doing these things for God. Like, if we fulfill these requirements or expectations, if I fast, God will do this. If I have my devotions, you know, God will do this. Or we like to control people around us. We like to control the, our family members instead of surrendering control and giving these people to God. And then with understanding, how many times do we just want to completely understand or completely know what is going to happen in our lives in the next few years? It's like, it's like our human intuition is to want to have it all nailed down, for it to be logical, for us to be able to plan it all out perfectly, but not so with God. Many, many times we find ourselves doing exactly what the people of Israel are doing here, asking for a king. Here's a statement. Um, and there's going to be a couple statements that I finish with, but every, every life has a king. That king is whatever you need to be happy or secure, okay? Every life has a king, and every life is searching. There's a, there's a pastor by the name of Mike Plunkett, who we really respect, that does stuff with the College of Prayer. You can remember this. He's, Mike says that every human being is looking for three things. We're looking for affirmation, we're looking for satisfaction, and we're looking for security, okay? Some of us are stronger in, in some of those than others, but we go around in our lives looking for those things. We look for them to be fulfilled in a lot of different ways, okay? So some of our kings are these things that we try to give us affirmation, satisfaction, and security. They may be status, okay? Our king may look like, you know, likes on Facebook, or a status at work, or uh, status in, among our friend group, like we've got this figured out, we've, we've, we've gotten our life to this certain level. It may look like work or money, it may look like relationships, like it may be like, I need to get all my affirmation and satisfaction and security out of this set of relationships. And, and yes, I need, a, I need a Mr. Right or a Mrs. Right to provide that for me because I, like, I don't know where else to get that if I don't get it from a human relationship. It may be our own freedom. Our king could be like the, the idea that we have that we are just so independent. We've got it all under control. Like we can do this. Like we are self-sufficient. It could be our own achievements. Whatever it is, we're looking to fulfill these longings of affirmation and satisfaction and security. And we look for it with all these kings, with all these masters. And so I said every life has a king, but here's the second part. Every life has a king, and all kings make their subjects into servants. We become slaves to these desires. We become slaves to status, or money, or relationships, or freedom, or achievement. We, you know, you can, we, I can look at my life and see where I've chosen to try to look like my friends, or to try to appear strong or capable, to feel like I'm in control, I can see the places where I get tired of being weird, right? We've all, we've all been there, okay? But here's the good news today, okay? Everybody has a king, and all kings make their subjects into slaves, but there is a king. 
who provides unwavering affirmation. There's a king who provides deep satisfaction and ultimate security. And his name is Jesus. His track record is perfect. What he has to offer doesn't spoil or ruin. He knit us together in our mother's womb and he knows the hairs on our head. He knows the deepest failures of our lives and he still loves us. He went to the cross with us on his heart. He holds the keys to death and the grave. He offers abundant and eternal life. He gives his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that inheritance and he promises to be with us forever and ever. So if we're going to ask for a king, I think I know which one we need. But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't always offer much in the way of keeping up with the Joneses or looking good in front of others or feeling like we've got everything under control or having everything planned out. That's not Jesus' bag, okay? To quote Mr. Beaver from Narnia, C.S. Lewis, in talking about Aslan, he says, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you, okay? So he's not safe. He's not always respectable the way that we want it to happen, but he is good. He is the king that we need. And I was thinking as Teresa was sharing this morning, there was so much in our, okay, our worship time, like nothing in this world will satisfy. Jesus is a cup that won't run dry. So good um, related to like this theme this morning. Teresa was sharing about Jesus going into the wilderness. Not only is Jesus like our ultimate king, but he is our perfect example of this too, all right? When he's in the wilderness, the devil tempts him with some of these same exact things. This idea of comparing ourselves to other people and having power, what does the devil say? Look out over all this thing. Look, compare, look at all the power I have, Satan says. If you just bow down, I will give you power over all this stuff. Oh, or how about like, you could just fall off this and call the angels to come and catch you. Like, how, did, how strong does that look? Like, Jesus was tempted in all of these ways to compare himself to other things, to take up this strength, this strongman routine, to, to uh, have ultimate control over all this stuff. But actually, Jesus rejects all of that. Mm. And he goes low. He goes to the cross in weakness. This is the example of Jesus. And this is actually our king who we look to, to take our cue from. So I want to wrap up. Corporate application. Let's think about, I always think about this in two ways, okay? Let's apply this as a body to our body here at the Gospel Tab, our family on mission, but also individually. So Mary's sermon, the idea of not keeping God in our little box, okay? Okay. Um, I'm sitting here thinking, what is God saying about the gospel tab and new wineskins? Well, Jesus is, is, is saying, first of all, that he's the king and not any man or any man-made system. Human leaders are only good insofar as they hear from Jesus and submit to his lordship. Mm-hmm. I also feel like he's saying, look, it may not look super respectable or put together. It may not look like we have everything under control or it may not always make sense. But we can be okay being weird together, okay? If we keep centered on God's voice, it might be weird at times, but that's okay. That's who we want to be. We want to be weird for Jesus, all right? Um, 
But individually, um, I was thinking about, I missed a really good, I, I, I mentioned I missed a really good um, time down here with Mary's sermon, but not just Mary's sermon, Michelle's baptism. Oh, no. like, so, I, so I was at the other campus leading worship, so I missed being down here. But I bring that up. I also miss, by the way, Mary's talking about not keeping God in the box. Does everybody know Devontae broke the cajon? Yeah. Okay, a cajon is a box, all right? <laughs> and we were talking about not letting God in the box and Devontae breaks the cajon, all right? Perfect illustration. All right, but when we go to baptism, when we go to baptism, what do we, what do we always ask? What's that question? Who do you say, who is Jesus to you? And what, what's our answer? Jesus. Jesus is Lord, okay? This is like for eons and eons of Christianity and what it means to follow Jesus, that is it. That is the ancient phrase of what it means to be a Christian, to follow, to follow in the way of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That is Christianity in its essence. And, and as we come in today, thanks to as we wrap up today, my question for us is, is Jesus Lord? Is he king? Or do we have some other kings? Um, how are they treating us? Do we feel like we've become slaves to things other than Jesus? Where are we looking for affirmation and satisfaction and security? And, and to sum it up, you know, the people of Israel... Just like us, we're always looking for these other alternatives to like being ruled by God. They're, all, they're constantly going back to idols and constantly going to this. and constantly, I think we just as constantly have to be going back to Jesus as Lord. Like, I think it, in our lives, we have to constantly be saying, okay, Jesus is Lord. How is Jesus Lord of my workday? How is Jesus Lord of my relationship with this family member? How is Jesus Lord in this conflict situation? How is Jesus Lord um, for the meeting that I'm about to have to go to? How, and these, this, we have to constantly be training ourselves to be coming back to Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord.